Hello again. This is Nini White with another episode of Not Your Normal Social Emotional Learning Podcast. This time around, we're conversing with Kelly Priest, who is a social learning specialist and consultant to schools, families, helping professionals, and businesses. Her work is focused on teaching people how to engage in social learning that meaningfully supports and affirms the wholeness and well-being of each person while working toward the very practical goals of establishing better connections and collaborations at home, school, work, and the world at large. While at Westside Neighborhood School in Los Angeles, Kelly's primary responsibility was support of the pre-K through eighth grade research-based social learning curriculum that she developed. One of the many, many reasons I am so grateful to know Kelly and be able to introduce you to her is because her fundamental approach to social-emotional learning, like this podcast, is not so normal. And how is it not so normal? Well, for one thing, rather than isolating social-emotional learning into one more focus area, she prioritizes its integration with academic curricula and anti-bias intercultural literacy initiatives. I guess you could say that I am a very big fan of Kelly, and if you'd like to know more about her, you can visit her website at kellypriestassociates.com. So, Kelly, empathy is an essential topic for everyone's well-being, obviously, including all our students and all their peers and their families and communities and all cultures and countries worldwide, really. And then even outward, even to the natural world that supports life for all of us. <laughs> but, right. but I am getting way ahead of myself. So uh, first question, since empathy is such a broad topic and all of us aren't always talking about the same thing, would you like to share your thoughts a little about the difference between emotional empathy, perspective taking, and helping or caring behaviors? Sure. So, you know, I think it's helpful sometimes because all of these things get put under the umbrella of empathy, Mm -hmm. which is understandable. That's Mm -hmm. fine. And that's not wrong. But I do find that it's um, just useful sometimes to distinguish between emotional empathy, right? That Mm -hmm. feeling of feeling what other people are feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like we talked about before, whether it's um, feeling empathy that for someone who's hurt themselves or embarrassed themselves, mm-hmm. where you feel similar feelings, yeah. um, or whether it's a positive thing when your friend does well with something or gets some recognition, mm-hmm. having that kind of swelling feeling yourself of, mm-hmm. of happiness and pride with them. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's that emotional empathy piece, right? Mm. And then that I, you know, people have studied a lot of different things about this. Um, There's been a lot made for a while. And then I haven't heard as much lately about mirror neurons, that part in the brain that seem to light up um, and uh, cause us to sort of mimic someone else's activity, motor activity. And that may be related to that sort of emotional empathy. Uh Um, 
But there are a lot of different theories about that. Perspective taking is more in my area of focus. So I work with um, children and parents and teachers and adults um, in very kind of high-performing, innovative workplaces on um, doing that work of perspective taking. So that's more the cognitive piece, Mm. thinking about what others are thinking, thinking about what others think we're thinking, (laughs) all of the goals and layers of understanding others' points of view. You can't really draw a very hard, clear line between that and emotional empathy. There is obviously a lot of interplay. Mm. Um, but when you're thinking about what are you teaching, it may be helpful to kind of separate them, um, yes. you know, for, for our working purposes. Good. Right. And then, you know, then there's often we we call it empathy when we're really talking about caring or helping behaviors yep right and it is all kind of it can be considered all of a piece but at the same time sometimes people are able to do the perspective taking and sometimes people are able to have those feelings um, of feeling what others are feeling and there may be different reasons why they don't demonstrate or don't quickly demonstrate the helping or caring behaviors that most of us are kind of expecting each other to sort of perform. Uh huh. So those are the distinctions that I make. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, uh, but now in practical terms, how do we start bringing empathy into our classrooms, especially with the students we worry about is not having empathy because we feel that they're not displaying or expressing what we consider to be the correct, quote unquote, empathic behavior. And how does this concern about some students uh, aligning with the concept that empathy is a spontaneous and hardwired response, um, uh, how does that all fit together? Well, you know, I would say it catches our attention in a classroom setting when a student, it does some unexpected behavior, right? Either not displaying empathy or uh, anything that's out of the ordinary. It's natural and understandable that that tends to kind of catch our attention. Sure. Um, But there can be cultural differences. There can be differences in ability and disability Mm. that play into this, you know. So culturally, there may be some students who are maybe more reserved. Mm. Um, There may be some students who um, haven't had the experience of having other people show them that much overt empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, so they have much experience with it yet. And there, you know, there are students who may have motor planning issues or speech and language delays or, um, other disability related issues that interfere in that big, complex, long (laughs) sequence of, um, going from, you know, perception in their brain to motor planning to, you know, carrying through some experience, right? 
Right, right. So I think that it's natural that it catches our attention and we may have a concern about something, but I think we need to really look at the big picture of what's going on with a student before we jump to a conclusion that they don't have any empathy. Sure. And uh, another thought that was coming to my mind uh, is that sometimes there is a tendency in some children to just be so empathetic and maybe they've been shot down and now they're holding themselves back. You've seen that too, right? Right, right. And I've also seen some students who will um, get a lot of attention and adult praise for Uh. some specific empathy behavior like it comes to Uh, always those examples of students who will uh, very dramatically stop everything and you know be the one to very ceremoniously escort (laughs) someone with a boo-boo or a scratch to the office right to get interesting yep you know and sometimes when you see that over and over again you think that it's seeming a little rote (laughs) yeah with that yep Right. Yep. So, you know, that's these are just some of the problems in attempting to teach empathy right. in quotation marks directly. Right. right? Because it, I, it, it can just as often go sideways. <laughs> right. And it seems like what we're coming to right now in this little conclusion is that it's like we have to what we need to do is help the students be more in touch with what's just there inside them. They don't have to paste something on or, or what do you think about that train of thought there? Well, I do think that we can teach students to tune in to just what's going on in the moment. And we can trust students to learn over time, Mm -hmm. what kind of responses help to create a classroom that they would like to be part of. We can start there. Right. But I also would say that we need to start with tuning in first to what's going on within us. Start with yourself. See. Yeah. Right. Right. Where else are you going to start? Okay. More, more. Tell me what your thoughts are on that. Well, you know, I think that uh, there's actually some research that I mentioned before um, about um, this idea that, um, Sometimes when it comes to autistic students, um, non-autistic people, um, this was um, in the, uh, the journal Nature that suggested that um, typically developing peers of autistic people are sometimes less willing to interact with them based just largely on a first impression, what they call a thin slice. Uh-huh. of information uh-huh. and receive them unfavorably. And that can be pretty durable. Sure. So I think, you know, when we're looking at students of concern where we're wondering where their empathy is, it's not a bad place to start to check in with our own level of empathy toward them, our own ability to take their perspectives and to check in on, you know, okay, how am I interacting with this student? Um, before we start trying to extract helping or caring performances of helping or caring behaviors from Mm -hmm. them, right? Beautiful. Is Is there some action step that you help teachers or parents with that's very, very practical that we could share with our listeners? I think the, the first thing is starting with yourself 
Yep. And um, I think something you and I both have agreed on too is that idea of rather than zeroing in on some perceived deficit that a student Ugh. has, yep. slowing down a little bit on that and having more whole group discussions about um, what kinds of things are going on in the classroom, uh-huh. how we are responding to each other, and how does that affect the climate of the classroom? How does that make it be a place that we want to be or a place that we might not want to spend as much time in? Mm. So I think rather than kind of zeroing in and honing in on those questions like, how do you think that made them feel, which we do kind of in a desperate attempt to try to get um, <clears throat> students to, you know, give us the right answer. Right, <laughs> right. So we know that they're really getting it. Yeah. Um, having... Trusting yourself um, as a guide to um, to facilitate more discussions between and among students um, is a pretty good starting place. So beautiful. And what was that that you said about more listening and less talking? Oh, I think I might have said, uh, I think what I usually say is draw more, talk less. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful. I do. I do a lot of stick figure drawings and a lot of thought bubbles and talk bubbles mm-hmm. um, because students will very often just join right in and scribble out what I was thinking or what they were thinking and correct it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes having something visual and or tangible to sure. refer to um, makes those discussions a little bit more fruitful. And that's what we want. We don't, we want to get out of the uh, theory clouds and get our feet on the ground and, and be really growing our students so that we're growing a better world for all of us. Right. And we want to be asking, we, we don't want to be in the business of providing answers and having them parrot them back to us. We yep. want to be working on asking questions and more questions and listening to their questions. Right. And, and. Right. Asking questions and more questions to draw out and say, we don't tell them where to look. We don't tell them what to see, but we we do help them where to look. Right. Right. Wonderful. I'm going to um, wrap this up for now, but uh, we will be having more conversations if you agree. Oh, so many more conversations. (laughs) Okay. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Wonderful, Kelly. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye.